You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Good morning, and as always, thank you so much for joining us for online worship. We're continuing our series titled The Real Jesus, a study in the Gospel of Luke. We're in chapter 13. Hopefully you have that passage open. I want to open this morning with a story about a gal named Holly Davis. And Holly is a dear friend, and she has given me not only the permission, but the privilege to tell her story. Uh, Just imagine being a young adult, you're passionate for God, you feel called to leading youth, and so Holly goes to Moody Bible School, graduates, and she is appointed as a missionary in Western Europe with Operation Mobilization, and she's leading leaders of leaders in those countries. Well, our team was coming back from Mali, West Africa. We traveled through Western Europe, Our church commissioned me to go and visit Holly, spend some time getting to know her and and nurture her, bless her, care for her. Well, folks, it wasn't within a few hours walking the streets of Dublin with Holly that I sensed something was broken. And Holly began to tell her story and peel back just layer after layer. She began to weep. Well, fast forward, our team came home. I met with our mission committee, our leaders, and we invited Holly to come home. And she did, thankfully. Operation Mobilization gave her a two-year medical sabbatical. Why? Because she needed rest. And the question I had asked is, how could a girl so in love with God, called to kingdom work, passionately serving, be so broken, be so empty? Well, to Holly's story, she'll tell you, She just didn't learn the spiritual rhythms of life, if you will. She didn't learn to practice what is called Sabbath keeping or what I call the gift of rest. You know, Holly's not alone in her journey. A number of years ago, Ellen was out with the kids and I picked up a book that was just in my library, had an interesting title. And the gentleman who wrote it is a pastor. His name is Wayne Cadero. He's pastoring in Hawaii, has a Bible school, very influential man, uh, prolific author, internationally known. And he's in California one day speaking at a conference. He took some time to go out jogging in the morning. Well, during that jog, he sat down on a street corner and he was paralyzed. He began weeping uncontrollably. This is his story in the opening chapter. He cries out to the Lord. He says, God, what is happening to me? And he heard this still small voice. Wayne, you're leaving on empty. And as I've looked at Holly's story, a very dear and personal friend, and then an individual like Wayne who has influenced me in kingdom work, there was one common denominator. Both individuals did not learn how to practice Sabbath, to embrace a day of rest, to what I call the gift of Sabbath. And so we come to a passage again in Luke. This is a pattern for Jesus, where Jesus is now in the synagogue. He is in uh, worship, but it's on the Sabbath day. 
And folks, can I just make a side note this morning? I want to thank you for sticking with us in online worship. I know it's a little bit challenging week after week to maybe be in your living room. Yes, there's some distractions, but you stayed the course, and we're so appreciative of that. But here's the deal, folks. We are modeling our life after Jesus. He committed his life not only to Sabbath keeping, which is our topic this morning, but he was a worshiper of his Father first and foremost. And so we come to Luke chapter 13, and it demonstrates that Jesus values Sabbath. And it's a pattern. But not only did he value Sabbath and worship, you know what he's doing? Constantly in the Gospel of Luke, he is worshiping through service. And boy, there's another application point. So many of you help us out week in and week out to make sure worship is exceptional. Jesus is worshiping, he's serving, and what does he do? The Bible says that he heals a daughter of Abraham, a Jewish gal who had a disability that was demonically driven. 18 years she was disabled, and he heals her on the Sabbath. But there is a sad commentary, not only in Luke chapter 13, but in the rest of the Gospels. What happens, the chief synagogue leader, the elder, there were 12 elders needed to constitute a synagogue, the chief leader was indignant. He was frustrated with Jesus. He was ticked off, to use a modern vernacular. And the question is, what is going on? Why would a religious leader see such a beautiful thing take place on a Sabbath? And he gets frustrated. He gets indignant. Now, again, I, I do believe Luke wants us to see a pattern because throughout the gospel, yes, Jesus is a Sabbath keeper. He honored the Sabbath as a worshiper and a server. But then he did ministry, healed. And every time in the Gospels he does that, guess what happens? He gets persecuted. He gets criticized. In fact, we studied a few weeks ago Luke chapter 6. And boy, what a beautiful scene again. Jesus in the Sabbath worshiping. But there was a man, a senior man who had a withered hand. Jesus reaches out, he heals the man, and it says this, and I quote, the Pharisees were filled with rage. How sad. And so there's this tension, if you will, between Jesus keeping the Sabbath as a worshiper and doing ministry, and the religious establishment, the synagogue leader, the Pharisees getting frustrated. So now we're about two years into Christ's ministry, and Jesus says, enough. And he just pushes back now in this passage. And I want to draw your attention, if you would, to Luke chapter 13, verse 15. Look what Jesus says, and it just is straight to the point. He says to these folks who are indignant, doesn't each one of you untie his ox or donkey from the feeding trough on the Sabbath and lead it to water? Satan has bound this woman. How horrible, how sad. He's appealing to their heart, to their emotions. A daughter of Abraham for how many years, folks? Almost two decades for 18 years. And then he says, shouldn't she be untied from this bondage on the Sabbath day? In other words, what Jesus is appealing is just to common sense, just to compassion, just to heart. 
If you guys are going to care for your oxes and donkeys on the Sabbath, if something happened to them, how much more so should God, should I care for a daughter of Abraham who's been disabled by demonic activity for almost two decades? And then, of course, the passage reads that the people were astonished at Jesus' compassion and healing of this woman, but also astonished at his, at his teaching. And now the synagogue leaders are just more resolved. The Pharisees and Sadducees are more resolved to persecute Christ. And so what do we learn from this? We learn that Luke wants to develop a pattern through the gospel. And the pattern comes after Luke chapter 6, healing the man with the withered hand. Because what Mark records in chapter 2 verse 27 is this. Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Friends, I just want you to camp there for a moment. The Sabbath is a gift. It was made for you. God offers us a blessing, not us to be bound to the Sabbath. And then Jesus says, therefore, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So we must ask, how does something so healthy and so meaningful become so constraining and hurtful for the Pharisees, synagogue leaders in this passage, and basically the religious establishment? What happened to the Sabbath that caused such divisiveness and a harsh response from the religious establishment? Now, I won't go into details this morning because I unpacked that a few weeks ago in Luke chapter 6, but basically this. The Jews, the teachers, the Pharisees, the scribes, they codified the Sabbath. They legalized it. And there were hundreds of uh, commands as to how to keep that one beautiful gift from God. And it became a burden and a weight, not only to the people, but to the religious establishment themselves. And so this morning it begs a question, and it's a beautiful question. And, and friends, when we talk about Sabbath, we are talking about one of the greatest gifts in life from God to all of humanity. And so the question is this, how do we keep the Sabbath day holy? How do we value the Sabbath as God intended? And so if you did download a digital guide and you do have your sermon notes, I want to draw your attention to the blessing. And this is such a blessing this morning because God gave the Sabbath as a gift, each one of us should embrace the practice of Sabbath keeping. And so generally speaking, when you think about the Sabbath, number one, the first gift is this. It's a gift of rest through refreshment. And you're going to see some beautiful terms this morning, both in the Old and New Testament, of how God gave this gift so we could find rest and renewal and refreshment. In fact, the word Sabbath simply means day of rest. Think about that. What a gift that is. What a blessing that is from God. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you, just flip to the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 2. I want to show you something remarkable. Genesis 2, verses 2 through 3, right after creation, here's what we read. Moses records, By the seventh day, God completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work 
that he had done. God blessed the seventh day. He declared it holy, for on it, notice, he rested from all his work of creation. The dominant theme of this passage is the value God places on Sabbath on a day of rest. The principle of Sabbath is so important that God uses himself as an example. Folks, I love that. Now, again, if you can flip ahead one book, turn in your Bibles to Exodus 31, 16 through 17. This is a remarkable truth that builds upon Genesis 2. Exodus 31, 16 through 17 teaches the Israelites must observe the Sabbath, I love this next phrase, celebrating it through their generation as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign forever between me and the Israelites. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth. But on the seventh day, what happened? Two things. He rested, and I love this next phrase, and he was refreshed. Friends, we just have to pause for a moment. Think of the implications of that. This is the God of the universe. This is the omnipotent creator. It says first he rested, but the second one really gets my attention. And he was refreshed. What a blessing to see that even God himself, the creator of heaven and earth, both takes time to rest and to be refreshed. The Hebrew word translated refreshed can also mean the practice of taking a deep breath. And so add to the picture, Sabbath, rest, is about breathing. It's about rhythms. It's about refreshment. It's taking time to reflect, to relax, to renew, to refresh. This morning, I want to introduce you to a gentleman who has impacted my life and millions of others. Um, he has written a series of books called Boundaries. You may be aware of that series. He is a remarkable man, and he has helped many understand the practice of Sabbath keeping. And so Dr. Henry Cloud has given us a gift and he's taught that Sabbath keeping is about creating boundaries, establishing limits and rhythms in our life. Boundaries define who we are and what we become. I studied in Kentucky, and I, when I think of boundaries, I think about these beautiful horse farms in Kentucky, thousand-acre farms with these white picket fences. And yeah, they're beautiful, but the horses run free, they enjoy, but yet they have the protection and safety of those white fences. What a wonderful picture. Boundaries push us to take ownership and responsibility of our walk with God, of our relationships with each other, work, our service to the Lord, and most importantly, ourselves. Boundaries establish physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual uh, parameters to help us enjoy and live the abundant life that God promised. And so this morning, there's so much we could say about boundaries, but I want to unpack two 
that I've discerned over the many years of ministry that really if we created boundaries in these areas, we would find more rest, more refreshment, keep Sabbath better. The first is boundaries during suffering and loss. One of the questions I'd like to ask is this. Have you found the older you get, the more loss you experience? Friends, that's been my uh, experience. When, when I talked with Holly on the streets of Dublin and she unpacked her story, between 2009 and 2010, in a period of about 18 months, Holly experienced nine traumatic experiences. Nine. And the cumulative total just, just wore her out, burned her out. And she didn't know what to do and where to go. What a sad thing. And thankfully, she did come home. You know, Holly is not an anomaly. I think life is filled with shattered dreams, broken relationships, hurting family members, economic woes, health issues, and what James calls trials of many kind, James 1, 2. And then, if you compound life in the fast lane with all the challenges, the losses, the hurts, the struggles, it makes finding refreshment really difficult. The book of Ecclesiastes and the New Testament writings bring us some real encouragement. Ecclesiastes 3 reminds us there is a time and season for every purpose under heaven. Then verse 4 of chapter 3, there's a time to mourn, folks. Yeah, and a time to celebrate. But when there are losses, when there are pain, when there is hurt, we got to slow down. We got to recalibrate. We got to stop this life in the fast lane and deal with those issues. Jesus in the Beatitudes, how beautiful. He said thus, blessed are those who mourn. They'll be comforted. In Corinthians, Paul unpacks that. We receive a comfort from above. And then when we experience God's comfort in loss and pain and suffering, we're able then to minister to others in their loss and pain. What a gift. And then I love what the psalmist said, that God is near the broken heart. And so when we go through these losses, when we experience the traumas of life, we slow down. We mourn, we learn to grieve, we take time to be with the Lord, experience his comfort. And so I would conclude, finding rest and refreshment demands we learn how to grieve our losses. Time, reflection, and solitude while leaning on God, yes, and on others are all essential to the grieving process giving ourselves permission to grieve our losses, helps us to experience God's healing touch in our lives. And the second boundary that I want to deal with this morning is so relevant to all of us. It's boundaries at work. Boundaries at work. Workaholism plagued Holly for many years. That's her story. And some of you watching this morning, sadly, are bordering on workaholism, folks. Holly told me this. She said, for many years, Western Europe, uh, she didn't take a weekend off from ministry. Now, in some ways, it's noble, but boy, that just is unsustainable. 
the pain, the frustration of not taking rest and finding Sabbath. The latest research demonstrates, and I quote, overabsorption in one's job often leads to problematic physical and mental health issues. How interesting. It also threatens marriages, families, relationships. It can even weaken communities and, yes, churches. As employees and, and church leaders have less time to volunteer and serve God and one another. Now, if you're like me, I can sit back and rationalize, hey, I work my 45 to 50 hours a week and I'm good. Well, that may be true and I hope it is, but what about the time we should be apart and the texts come in and the voicemails and the emails and the phone calls and the many other distractions because of our age of technology that we can be reached all the time. And so we gotta create boundaries let work be work and then separate ourselves. Someone wisely suggested workaholism is one of the most respectable of all addictions. But if you do not learn to break that habit, it will one day break you. I think that's wise counsel. Always remember the almighty God who never sleeps, who never slumbers, he never fatigues, rested took a day for rest and refreshment, how much more so should we? We do not rest because our work is done. We rest because God commanded it and he designed us for a day of rest. It truly is a gift. Now, you might be saying, well, Keith, does the New Testament command Sabbath keeping? Here's my response to that as I studied this topic very deeply. There is no direct command in the New Testament to keep the Sabbath like the Israelites had in the Old Testament. However, folks, I would say this. From Genesis to Revelation, there is an example of Sabbath keeping that's illustrated especially in the life of Jesus. There is a principle of the beautiful gift of the day of rest. There is the modeling of God that he rested and he was refreshed. How much more so should we take our cues from him? Can I share with you a little bit of my story and then Ellen and my story? I didn't practice this early on in my ministry. And I regret some of that. I pushed hard. I went strong too many hours. And then at some point in time, thankfully, I received this truth from the Word of God. And Ellen and I recalibrated. And one of the things we did some time ago, decades ago, literally, we've chosen to take Friday, if possible. And again, it's not a legal thing, right? We've chosen to take Friday as our day of rest. And we typically might sleep in a little bit, get up, have our worship in quiet time. We both like coffee, that's a fun thing relaxed during the morning. We, we love to walk together, to prayer walk, and then just kind of let the day happen. It's a day of refreshment, a day of renewal, and typically it culminates with a nice meal, either at home or out. And friends, I tell you, that practice over many years, not only of ministry, but of marriage, has kept us refreshed with the Lord, has kept us renewed in ministry, and really the privilege of experience those boundaries and gifts. Now, gift number two. 
rest through worship. And I don't know if you've ever connected the dots of how Sabbath keeping and worship go hand in hand, but we've already demonstrated that through the life of Christ. But I want to take you back to a passage in Leviticus. And so again, we've been in Genesis, we've been in Exodus. Now let's take a look at Leviticus. And we're in chapter 23, verse 3. I want you to see this because this is a beautiful truth. Follow along. Leviticus 23, verse 3. Work may be done for six days, but on the seventh day, there must be a Sabbath, I love this, of complete rest. And then notice the next phrase, folks. A lot of people miss this. A sacred assembly. You are not to do any work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord wherever you live. Moses wants us to know that in addition to rest and refreshment, God designed the Sabbath for corporate worship, for the sacred assembly, a gathering place for his people. And as I've thought through this beautiful picture, I've come to the conclusion, this sacred assembly, it's an outward and and communal expression of an inward and ongoing attitude of perpetual devotion and worship to God. And when we come together as the people of God, he inhabits our praise. He's corporately brought glory and and fame to his name. Corporate worship suggests we prioritize, we consecrate one day a week, not only for the Christian Sabbath, but for the worship of the one true God. I love what Richard Swenson says. He says at Sabbath time, We suspend dominion work and instead worship the dominion maker. Isn't that beautiful, folks? We suspend our work here on earth and worship the one who has dominion over all. Now, I think we would agree. Jesus lived the most healthy life, the most balanced life. And according to scripture, especially the gospel of Luke, he prioritized the Sabbath, he prioritized worship, he prioritized ministry, and he lived a fully balanced life. I want to take you back to one more passage just to really focus our attention on Christ. It's Luke 4, 16. We saw this earlier in our study when Jesus launched his ministry. He said, I'm the Messiah. He quoted from Isaiah 61. But notice what Luke 4, 16 states. He, Jesus, went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, notice this phrase, as was his custom. Friends, I don't want you to miss that. This was Jesus' commitment, his pattern, his non-negotiable. He was first a Sabbath keeper, then a worshiper, and in worship he did ministry. What a beautiful way to live life. And so we take our cues from our great God and Savior, who's the same today, yesterday, and forever. In worship, we experience a fixed point of reality, including the eternal Word of God and the eternal Son of God. And so this morning, I want to close with just a few thoughts on challenge. You're here this morning worshiping, and again, let me say thank you for sticking with us. 
with online worship. But folks, I did some research on pre-COVID statistics for Protestant America. In America, prior to COVID, 78 million Protestants worship once a month, 12 times a year on average. Think about the implications of that. In other words, three out of four worship days, what is going on? Is it life in the fast lane? Is it work? Who knows? One out of four or 12 worship days a year. Now, here's what's even harder. Since COVID, Barna Research has surveyed thousands across the country who declare themselves to be Christians like you and I. And so what Barna discovered is, thankfully, one-third is still worshiping online like you are. Again, uh, accolades, thank you. Also, about one-third are gathering physically for worship. But the saddest statistic that has broken my heart, I've shared this with the elders, our staff, we're, we're thinking through this, we're praying through this, folks. One-third of Christians who are attending worship pre-COVID are no longer worshiping either online or in person. That burdens us. And I think that burdens the Lord. And the question we have to ask is why? And so friends, I wanna encourage you, one of the application points is stick with it even online, as challenging as sometimes it is, but please encourage your Christian friends to get back into the practice of worship. Corporate worship is essential to the body of Christ. Now let me come back to Holly and Wayne's story. Holly did come home. She took a two-year medical sabbatical. I applaud Operation Mobilization for giving that to her. Today, Holly is a professional woman. She resigned from mission. She knew she had to stay stateside and recalibrate. And so we're in touch with Holly today. She's doing well, has a business. We're so thankful. Wayne Cadero's story, Leading on Empty, is a little bit more traumatic. It took Wayne three years to get recharged and to become once again functional like he was before the meltdown. Why? He didn't find rest. He didn't celebrate Sabbath as a gift. And can we close this morning and making it very personal? I wanna make it personal. And can we take just a spiritual assessment are there any areas of your life right now that need better boundaries? Those Kentucky fences, if you will. Maybe you've experienced some losses and you haven't learned to grieve. Take time to grieve. Get help grieving. There are ministries that help people grieve in time of loss. Maybe work's getting the best of you and you feel like you just got to keep give, give, give during this difficult time of COVID because it's so unusual. Maybe it's time to recalibrate. But I'd like to start where Jesus started. How are you doing with personal and corporate worship? Are you finding rest in the Lord where you celebrate him sitting at his feet? And then you look forward to the corporate time. How about time with family? Are there nice rhythms and paces for the family to find rest, refreshment, and worship together? Are we patting our life after Jesus who, yes, kept Sabbath worship, but also served he kept pouring himself out in ministry, healing. And then thinking about our physical life. Are you healthy? Are you eating right, exercising, walking? 
doing the things we need to do to keep our body a temple to the Holy Spirit? What about our social life? Are we trying to stay connected during this, this difficult time? These are some of the areas that I believe God wants to nurture in this beautiful idea of Sabbath keeping, the gift of rest. And when we say yes to it, we make a commitment to it, many of these things in our life can come into alignment. May God bless you as you practice this beautiful principle, the gift of Sabbath. Let's worship our Lord together.